going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, week 11 is in the books. Did Samford just score another touchdown? Did that happen? Listen, they're an offensive juggernaut. I, like, every force under the sun couldn't stop them, apparently. You know, when you line up against a 4-5 and five FCS team who runs the air raid, you better be ready to go. Because if you're not, you're going to be the subject of the, the first thing that we talk about on this year's podcast. We're going to get to all the games today, I promise. We're going to be talking about everything that happened in the SEC, because it was actually a really intriguing week with a lot of solid games. A lot of really solid games. Maybe not like epic, instant, classic type games, but we have to talk about Florida off the top here. And I know there are some people listening to this who are probably like, oh, I'm so sick of Florida, blah, blah, blah. Florida let up 52 points to an FCS team. And that is the most points that an FCS team has ever scored against a Power 5 team since the division split in the 1970s. So there's that. There's also the fact that Florida let up more points in a half than it has to an opponent ever in program history. And it was an FCS team and it happened at home. You can't make these things up, kids. You just can't. Todd Grantham, um, I would have paid, I, I was thinking about this dollar amount as I watched this. I think I would have paid like $300 to watch that football game with Todd Grantham. Just, <laughs> He's just sitting there like, see, told y'all that wasn't the problem. Just with his like, hands on his hips, sweating aggressively in his living room. Just like, look, look at this nonsense out here. See, I totally would have fixed that. Never mind the fact that I let up 40, I, I was running a defense that let up 40 points to South Carolina last week, I totally would have had this thing figured out. It was so, so, so bad. Never a good sign when your home fans are booing five minutes into a game and you haven't even touched the football yet. Usually a sign of a bad day to come. And Unless it was. you're the Philadelphia Eagles. If you're a normal fan base... Good point. I remember they booed the first game after the Super Bowl. If you're a normal, rational fan base and you're booing against an FCS team, things are not going your way. And there are people listening to this saying, you're being too negative. Emory Jones set the Florida single game record for, for yards, 550 yards. Florida scored 70 points. Cool. If you think scoring 70 points against an FCS team is the headline, uh, I would say that you're probably looking at this the wrong way. Samford, all you need to know about this day for Florida, Samford had this 59-yard touchdown pass to a tight end who totally faked out the Florida safety. And Will, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say you would have run a faster 40 than this guy. <laughs> that's, that's what Connor said to get me to switch over to this game. He was like, this dude who's slower than you just scored. I was like, okay, man, come on, I guess I'm in. It's one thing if you score from 30 yards out. Um, another one, it's 59 yards, whatever it was. It was a train wreck of a defensive performance. If you thought Dan Mullen was going to be pissed off after that, though, you weren't paying attention. If you thought his team was going to be pissed off after that, you weren't paying attention. The video that went very, very viral, Florida players celebrating like they just beat Georgia. A couple thoughts on this. I don't get why someone thought, hey, you know what I bet the people want to see? us celebrating after we let up 52 points to an FCS team. The person who leaked that video and who posted it, where was your head at after that? Because you weren't thinking about the big picture. Having said that, 
Wait, hold on, dog. We're at that point where, like, they got to start doing that thing in the locker rooms that they do. Like, if you ever go to a stand-up comedy show where, like, when you walk in, they take your phone and put it in a little vacuum-sealed yes. bag. Well, the team gets into the locker room after any kind of a game. Coach just needs to take all their cell phones until everybody talks. And then on the way out, you get your little baggie, you unzip it, you go home. Because not a single positive thing. Talking Antonio Brown, Coach O, this right here. Not a single positive thing has ever come from a post-game locker room Instagram live. IG Live is just straight fire, though. And if you don't watch IG Live after a big-time college football game, you're doing it wrong, obviously. Actually, Jameis dancing with the with the crushes. Okay, that happened. We'll put that in the win column. That's, that's the only win so far. <laughs> the, the lone dub of posting on IG Live after a game celebrating a win. So a couple things can be true at the same time. One is that that would never, ever happen in Alabama or Georgia. Yeah. Could you seriously picture Saban or Kirby being that happy after that performance? You just can't. You can't. So I don't fault the players for celebrating after a win because winning football games is hard. It's been a crap year for Florida. And a lot of those kids just wanted to feel good about something. They ended a losing streak. Mm -hmm. All right. You want to be happy about a win? Fine. But know that when you do that, we're going to take you out of that category of the Alabamas and Georgias of the world, even if there's a small part of our brain that wonders if you can get to that level, because you're basically admitting, we just want to win football games and we don't care if it's good, bad, ugly, whatever. A win is a win is a win. And Dan Mullen said afterwards that it's disrespectful to the game to ever say a win is disappointing. I'll agree to disagree with that. I will. I, didn't, I, I think that there are certain moments in which you have to be able to read the room, and we've criticized Dan Mullen for not being the guy who's able to read the room, especially after a game, win, lose, or draw. He's just not that guy. This, to me, was another example, though, of why Mullen will be gone at season's end, if I had to guess. And talking to Florida fans during this game, man, they were on one. <laughs> Watching the home fans react to some of these plays, just being helpless of watching that happen in your home stadium where your defense just has no chance. Like, no chance. And I get it. They only load up 10 points in the second half. Cool. That's fine. But getting embarrassed like that at home is something that is a really tough sell to boosters. And if there was lacking momentum before to fire Dan Mullen after the South Carolina debacle... That's only going to help. It's not like all of a sudden, maybe you had a booster who's like, yeah, I'll cover $3 million of this $12 million buyout. Who's like, well, you know what? They won that game against Samford 70 to 52. So maybe I'm not as likely to put in that money. That's not how this Don't works. Don't forget, Dan Mullen is on quad pay. He's on layaway. You can just pay for him over the next 10 years like Bobby Vanilla, and you're good to go. The Bobby Bonilla deal of $1 million basically in perpetuity, is similar to what Dan Mullen has because he's get, he'd get the $6 million within the first 60 days and then a million dollars every year after that. And that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I think Dan Mullen's gone. If he had lost this game, he wouldn't have survived the weekend. I will still be we're recording this on Sunday morning. I will still be checking my phone today just to make sure. Because you never know. 
you just never know with these types of things. And we don't know what was on the mind of Scott Strickland. And if he was sitting there with a bunch of boosters watching that football game saying, this is terrible. We need to be able to move on from this. Um, let's, let's add uh, Dan Lanning to the list of potential replacements as well for Florida. Because what a move that would be to just poach Georgia's top assistant and to try and tap into whatever sort of juju that Georgia has going to be able to bring that down to Florida and to basically make him say no to a job that would probably pay him, even as a first-time head coach, he's getting north of $4 million, probably closer to the $5 million range, and you would more than double his salary. But what a day it was. What a day it was for Florida. Just when I think we're going to stop talking about the Gators for a little bit, they do that. Will, any more thoughts before we move on to the rest of the week? No, dude, I, I legit feel bad because like I had my rant after the Kentucky game and obviously it's all kind of gotten worse since then. And it's like, I try really hard to be fair and objective to all this stuff. And, you know, I, I know a lot of Florida fans. I went to college in Orlando and I'm close to a lot of Florida fans. And it's just one of these situations where it's like, I don't want to feel like I'm kicking them when they're down. I think we're all in the same boat though. Like, I don't really, it's not like I'm roasting them. Or Shout out Zach Brown Band. That's right. a song that's on the radio right now. Continue, sorry. <laughs> right, but... Uh, yeah, like I, I don't want it to feel like we're just roasting them or dumping on them because we're all on the same side at this point. I don't know if there is a Florida fan who is just like, oh, we got to keep Dan Mullen. Like as an LSU fan, I sure hope they do, but I don't. I think it's not like we're beating them up unjustly. It's just like, all right, well, Kentucky happened, and it was kind of like, okay, dude, here you found your level. This is your team, and then LSU happened, and then South Carolina happened, and Samford Samford happened is a hilarious. It's like Jesus wept. Samford happened. Like, that's not where we thought we would be. We didn't think to ourselves, oh, we're going to be talking about this game at the beginning of the week. So we're not going out of our way to dump on them. You know, there are obviously greener pastures ahead. This is just something no one expected. And like you said, I mean, they gave up the most points in program history and a half. Like, that's, you can't make that up. You can't plan for it. You just can't. So we'll, I'm, I'm sure we'll have a lot more Florida stuff to discuss. But let's get to everything else that happened in the SEC. Actually, before we do... NFTs have officially come to college football. Campus Legends is launching the first ever officially licensed athlete in school NFT drop. And it started with the 2008 National Championship Florida Gator football team. See, we're talking good things with Florida. Good, good things. Happy memories only. Nothing but that. Campus Legends will be rolling out drops from more schools in the future, but this past week it began with their partnership with the University of Florida. You can buy, sell, and trade officially licensed collegiate digital collectibles. Moreover, what's cool about Campus Legends is that the players are along for the ride. Campus Legends is helping current and past players monetize their NIL through this new NFT marketplace. All you gotta do, campuslegends.com and get in the NFT game for college football. All right, let's start with Tennessee and Georgia. If there was hope that Tennessee could provide the blueprint for how to have success against this Georgia defense, I'd say Saturday was disappointing on that end, at least for those contenders, those teams that are going to have to try and beat Georgia to win a national championship. Really bad news for them. This game, Will, went so similar to probably how we thought it was going to go, right? Like oh, if yes. we, this was the Josh Heupel script through yes. and through. And, and you texted me, I, we were texting during the third quarter and we're like, yep, nothing about this was particularly surprising. 
Tennessee comes out looking like, oh my God, this is the greatest football team I've ever seen. Opening <laughs> drive, money in the bank. Hendon Hooker, 11 of 12, 96 yards, touchdown. Or maybe that wasn't all in the opening drive, but I think his only missed pass was that overthrow where it was a very Joe Milton-esque overthrow. It would have been six, and Neyland would have erupted if that had happened. But nonetheless, Tennessee still gets that opening drive touchdown. First time Georgia had allowed a first quarter touchdown all year. And then don't you know, Georgia does what Georgia does. Defense settles in. Suddenly the tempo, it's starts failing for Tennessee and Tennessee's defense I thought by the end of this was gassed and maybe some of that was just 60 minutes with Georgia maybe some of it was being on the field for 99 plays last week against Kentucky and that caught up to them as well but it torpedoed Tennessee if you think oh hey you can point to the fact that they scored 17 points that's a season high that Georgia has allowed this year that's all well and good they went 53 minutes between touchdowns. Oh. They didn't have the formula. That second touchdown came when Joe Milton actually looked pretty good coming in. We <laughs> said a lot of very negative things about Joe Milton here. One thing about Josh Heifel is he's going to get those Joe Milton rips in there. <laughs> no matter what. And uh, thankfully he did because Hendon Hooker, if he stayed in at the end and got hurt, I would have been very, very upset with that. It was a reminder. This Georgia team is... On, still on a different level, and we're still searching for that formula. It didn't matter that they were also dealing with the flu, which we found out before the game. There was eight of their seven traveling players were dealing with some form of the flu, and a lot of it was on the defensive line. Jalen Carter actually came out of the game and didn't re-enter because of his sickness. Jordan Davis missed a quarter of this game, but then came back in. Devontae Wyatt went down what seemed like every other play in this game. So they didn't even it's have... Like, how they didn't then give up 40 points to South Carolina. It's a great point, <laughs> it's Will. It's wild how that happened. It's a great point. Didn't matter. If there was any hope from Bama, Ohio State, anyone else that Tennessee would provide this blueprint of testing these Georgia corners and being able to stretch the field, and oh, what does it look like when you actually get time? That was a disappointing showing, for Tennessee at least. But I thought that, that Georgia's corners held up well for the most part. They had the one DPI and Kayla Ringo in the end zone that, that happened early on, and I think there was one play down the right sideline that was complete on Darian Kendrick. Cedric Tillman actually had a pretty nice day for Tennessee, like finished with 200 receiving yards in this one and and, and picked up a, a lot of a lot of Tennessee's passing yards in this game. But still, if you go 53 minutes between touchdowns, you didn't discover anything really. And that was the story of the day for Tennessee. Meanwhile, on the Georgia side, I don't know if anybody has discovered the best way to stop James Cook. Tennessee certainly did not have the answer to stop him. That was like when you, when we were doing all the preseason bold and brash, and there were a lot of James Cook predictions, right? Like everybody's saying like, oh, James Cook is going to be the leading receiver and the leading rusher in this game. That was the type of game that everybody who predicted that had in mind. He was awesome. I absolutely love the recognition from Stetson Bennett on that touchdown pass to Cook where he sees he's got a linebacker split out on him, man coverage, and he knows he's going to have that in the end zone. That's a, that's a mismatch that he's going to take advantage of every single time. Perfect route, perfect throw, six points. There were a lot of times in this game where I was impressed with Stetson Bennett's awareness, 
not the overall skills of like, oh my God, he, he, I thought he made some better throws in the Mizzou game than he did in this one, but just the awareness to know when to tuck it and run, to know when, hey, you can take a sack right here. You don't need to try and force it, throw it into traffic and have that back-breaking interception. He did those things that you would want him to do in this game because he continues to show he's so comfortable with those RPOs. And it's so much different than 2017 with Jake Fromm, where we've, we've said this before, how many times did you want Jake Fromm to just run the ball? Just call your own number on some of those plays. And Stetson does. And that's what keeps the chains moving. It's what frustrates a defense. Danny Cannell tweeted, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was. Stetson Bennett has only completed a max of 14 passes in a game coming into this one. And I actually tweeted earlier in the year about how Georgia was without all of these guys on offense and still plus 206 basically six games into the year at the halfway point. And then Cannell tweeted at me out of the blue. He's like, most predictable stat ever. Look at the schedule. Of course. DK is going to DK, isn't he? Georgia is now 10-0. They have, I think it's the fifth best point differential through SEC play in the last like 30 years. Not as good as last year's Bama team, but still very, very impressive. And I think that, I mean, Bama gets the benefit of the doubt because they played more SEC games as well. But 10-0, Stetson Bennett, once again, looked really, really solid. Not like the type of guy that you would want to bench and put in a new quarterback for. Yeah, George only won by 24, so the average margin against Power 5 teams actually came down a little bit because he was at 29.8 coming into this one. Mm -hmm. But no JT Daniels because you didn't need him. He's going to play next week against Charleston Southern. Georgia is going to be 12-0 going into the SEC Championship with a a playoff berth already in hand. It's happening. Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech, that's that's it. That's that's the remaining schedule. They're not losing either one of those games. 8-0 in SEC play for the first time since Herschel's last year in Athens back in 1982. How about that? That is something that, incredible? that just needs to be celebrated for Georgia. Good for them, man. I, and I, that was something that I talked with uh, with my guy Candler about a few weeks ago. I was like, do you really think like Georgia's going to like get to the SEC championship undefeated for the first time since Herschel? It's like, yeah, how's how are we going to last 60 minutes with this team right now? We've talked about it ad nauseum, and we're going to continue to talk about it more. And I almost am reluctant to keep saying some of these things, you know, at the risk of repeating myself. I'm still a hen dog, very much. We we know this for life. That's not going away. But he had a little bit too much juice on his fastball throughout the afternoon. You could see that. He missed that wide open throw on the first drive, and if he had hit on that, maybe his day is a little bit different. Probably not, because Georgia was still going to adjust in the Josh Heupel game script. Once it goes out the window against a really good team, we've seen it before, the odds were not going to be in his favor. Rare off game, I still like what he brings to the table. I still like what Tennessee's offense brings to the table. That didn't really change my overall impressions of them. We just kind of saw the ceiling after we had seen it looks so good in recent weeks. I really want Hooker to come back for another year, even though I don't think he will because our man's going to be 24 in January. Well, can you imagine coming back to college at age 24 and still being like, yeah, let's run it back. That is like Van Wilder right there. <laughs> He's been around. He's been around. But, you know, 2020 granted everybody that extra year of eligibility, so theoretically he could be in that spot. But 
I'm going to guess, given the, the heart issue that he dealt with last year, that if he gets a chance to go, and as long as he finishes out all right, then he is probably going to be going to the next level. But mm -hmm. that wasn't necessarily the type of day in which you said, Hendon Hooker, surefire top five quarterback in this draft. He is on Mel Kuyper's big board, though. I did see that. Kuyper had him at seven among his draft-eligible quarterback prospects. So take that for what it is. I'm leaning that he will probably be gone at this point. But not the best day for our guy. We are still hen dogs. Anything else on this game? I'm, dude, <clears throat> I'm so blown away with these Josh Heupel trends, man. I don't get it. It's literally like, I, I texted you during, during this game. I was like, um, you know, they need to start going for these fourth downs and like getting these scores because like when this offense like turns back into a pumpkin in the second quarter, like they're going to need to hold on for dear life. And they just didn't do enough early. And it's, I don't understand how Josh Heupel is able to do this every single game. He's like, Tennessee's like the best first quarter team in America. <laughs> like Ever. They blow teams out in the first quarter. And then literally the clock strikes midnight when the second quarter starts. And it's like, they're just holding on for dear life. And like, we were both very, a little bit too bearish about Tennessee going into the year. So I'm not going to say it's like a cause for an alarm. Like they're still doing way better than we thought they would. But it's so strange because if they could just, keep their momentum going. Like we were talking back and forth about like, did they find out the blueprint after the first quarter? And it's like, you like, I don't know if Hypo has like a certain amount of like Ram space in his brain where it's like, I got 12 good plays <laughs> and play number 13. I don't know what that's going to be like very Michael Scott-esque move to just be like, yeah, <laughs> here's what I got for you. So I don't know. I mean, hopefully like, <clears throat> and he was actually pretty similar to that UCF weirdly. So it's like, yeah, hopefully he can kind of create a more complete game plan. And obviously, it's not like an every week thing. Like, against, we talked about it against um, uh, Kentucky, where they just, I mean, they were doing all kinds of stuff offensively. But that's what you want to kind of see growth this offseason with Tennessee, because what they're doing is working. Like, like they, for, they gave Georgia the most competitive quarter of football they've had in, I mean, over a year. So, like, you got to credit them for coming into that game, as we've always talked about with Tennessee, with, you know, transfers and guys leaving and all this roster attrition. They were in a slugfest for a quarter. And the thing that took them out of that slugfest, I kind of feel like was their own doing. Because if you can prove that you're at this level for a quarter, not a series, not a drive, not a play, but a quarter, and then you're just like, all right, that's it. We're packing it in, boys. 53 minutes later, we're going to score. It's like, y'all got to figure something out here. Because they're going to obviously need to, in a couple of years, hopefully be com competing with Kirby Smart for this division. I listened to Rosillo ask this question to Trent Dilfer. And I think... I'm, I'm going to butcher, but I'll paraphrase it, I guess, where he said, what would happen if a coach just scripted 50 plays instead of 15, <laughs> right? Like, what would happen right. if Josh Heupel just went into this game and said, I've got my 50. I don't care what down and distance we're in. I don't care if we fall behind 14 points in the first half. I'm going to go with these 50, and y'all are just going to have to deal with it. Would it be much worse? Because it's night and day. And it's startling. They kept showing the numbers of what it looked like the first three series, and then they, they would show like the next five series numbers. <laughs> like, okay, okay, so we could clearly point to game script, not game script. Just makes you wonder what it would look like. And Dilfer basically said, well, you have to be able to make adjustments. You know, the defense is making adjustments, so you have to be able to then make them yourself because sometimes they make adjustments to your game script and you could say, well, yeah, you throw it out the window, but they, they've already gotten to that point. So you can't sit there and assume that your game script would work for the next 50 plays. But I don't know, man. 
I kind of watched the way that, that that played out against Georgia and wanted to know what it would have looked like had Tennessee continued some of those things. And I, Tennessee playing without Tyon Evans, maybe that didn't allow for them to, to have the balance that they wanted to. I thought Jabari Small was still effective at certain points, but still, what would 50 scripted plays have looked like against Georgia? Could have been worse than that, right? <laughs> Couldn't have been. Yeah, because like, like we're talking about the 15 worked. So it's like, yeah. give me five. Give me 10 more. Let's see what you got in there, Josh. Let's move on, though. Georgia will be number one in the playoff rankings. We're going to do playoff rankings at the end of this. We'll, we'll predict what we think it's going to look like. Maybe not a whole lot of shake, but we'll get to um, uh, another Georgia thought uh, to go along uh, with how, how their road to the national championship could lead. Ole Miss. College game day was in the house, and Ole Miss took advantage of the opportunity and fended off. Texas A&M after it looked like the Aggies were going to come back and win this football game. I'm going to tip my cap to DJ Durkin here. I've been very critical of him. I wasn't crazy about him as a hire. I watched this guy in the Big Ten. I watched him at Michigan. I watched him at Maryland. And I didn't think that he was an elite defensive mind. I'm not necessarily sitting here today saying that he's on that level. But I was darn impressed with that defensive game plan. It was really, really good. What a showing that was by the Ole Miss defense. That's the difference in that football game. Chance Campbell, Sam Williams, if you don't know who they are, you should. Because they are playing at an all-SEC level. They teamed up on that safety where Sam Williams forces Isaiah Spiller back to the inside. And Chance Campbell, don't you know it, Johnny on the spot, waiting there. That was such a critical play in that game. Ole Miss picked off Zach Calzada twice in the fourth quarter, including that pick six that ultimately was the dagger. They pitched a first-half shutout, very reminiscent of that Louisville start that they got off to, and they dominated. Like They dominated so much that they probably looked at the Ole Miss offense at halftime and said, hey, um, we have a 307-yard advantage. Why are we only up 15? <laughs> I mean... Ole Miss had, had red zone issues. Lane wanted to fake field goals. Maybe got a little too cute again with that stuff. If you have Lane as your head coach, you're going to ha- kind of have to live with the good and the bad. All right? Like, that's that's not changing anytime soon. Everybody's going to want to break down his decision-making on fourth down. And a lot of people have, have raised their questions about it because we play the results with these things. And when it works, great. And when it doesn't, we criticize it. That's just the nature of the beast. But there was nothing cute about that defensive performance. It was awesome. Isaiah Spiller could not get anything going at all, and he had been on fire coming into this one. When he struggles, it's usually against a good defense. Ole Miss was a darn good defense at home on Saturday night, and that was even after, in the second half, they lost Jake Springer to that targeting call. It was a pretty obvious targeting call. You hate the fact that the kid has to get ejected for that, but... He's somebody that's been so valuable, and it didn't necessarily slow down that Ole Miss defense. Huge way to end that game, too, after it looked like AM had all the momentum. And then one overthrow, the overthrow to DeMond Demas, and just like that, Zach Calzada reminds us that he is indeed a bit of a pumpkin, and he had his Cinderella moment against Alabama, to keep going back to that reference. But since then, it hasn't been great. The Ole Miss offense sort of needed that, too, because Jerry and Ely was excellent, but they really aren't calling the design runs for Corral. He's still not quite right, and they know it. They, they very well know it. He wasn't limping as noticeably as he was in some of the past weeks since that Tennessee game, but he's not forcing defenses to have those eyes in the backfield to create those big busts at the second level, 
right? Like that's just kind of an element that's not quite there and why this offense maybe isn't as explosive as we've grown to see. And AM's defense, of course, was part of that as well. But Corral was still effective, and the Ole Miss ground game did what it had to do. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a, a very, very solid showing overall from Ole Miss, knowing that college game day is in the house. Lane is the guest picker for that one, too. Yeah, it wasn't quite Katy Perry. I know they did the bow ties and all that stuff. But, like, how about Lane being the guest picker for a game that, that he's going to be coaching in that night? It's the first time they've ever done that on college game day. Interesting they didn't pick the Arkansas-LSU game. Thought that was a little noteworthy. Didn't want to have that one in the in the picks. Make Lane talk about LSU, but whatever. Read into that what you will. Great showing from Ole Miss, though. It really, really was. Now they're in a favorable position to get to a New Year's Six Bowl, and they're the answer to our favorite question, right, Will? Who's the number Who two? Who is second place in the SEC West? Ole Miss, number two team in the SEC West. Just like Back we thought. Folks, just like Texas. <laughs> Could have been A and M. Oh, you just took, you just took a. Sh- we can't lump Texas into into that same group right now because when you lose to Kansas, and you allow more than fifty points, that Florida's Florida's lucky because that game happening the way like at the time that it did, people can now point to that and say that that was an even more embarrassing defensive performance what Texas did, but still nonetheless pretty bad. AM's defense was much better than Texas. Much, much better. I saw a lot of people, including your boy John, send me a message on Twitter. <laughs> Where's his AM defense you were talking about all week? It was ugly for a bit, not gonna lie. Um, first half, what's what's the the gif? Like, first half they got us, not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> they had us in the first half. Ole Miss got yards at will, and they were driving up and down the field, and it looked like they were going to do whatever they wanted. And AM's defense figured some things out in that game, and I thought the second half they were really, really good. They had the the pick six, obviously you don't count against them. The safety, you don't count against them. And even, you know, Calzada throws that pick deep in their own territory. You can't hold that against the AM defense. They started blowing up some of these screens. They got a better push up front. That, that Leal force fumble on Corral. That really kind of settled AM down. That is going to be on DeMarvin Lee Howe's draft film. There's no doubt about it. That dude is awesome. And I still was really impressed with the AM defense. But, you know, your limitations, it's at the quarterback position. It still is. It yeah. still is. And it's unfortunate because I love so many of the other pieces and I loved seeing Weidermeyer get going again. And 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 when you see Devon A chain only get four touches through the first like 40 minutes of this football game, you're just like, what are you doing here? What are, what are you doing? Get this guy going. And then when they finally did, their offense picked up a little bit. And A-chain, that A-chain touchdown that he had, the first touchdown that AM scored in this game, it ended a streak of 116 minutes and 45 seconds without an offensive touchdown for AM. <sighs> Sorry. That comes back to the quarterback position. It just yeah. does. This, this didn't change your impression of Zach Calzada at all, did it, Will? I mean... You know, this is why our dynamic is so great, Connor, because I'm just at my heart a hater. And I, I try to be more you know, balanced and, and whatever on this podcast. But it's like, you see that one pick that he threw that was just like, Wilt Chamberlain was the intended target. It was like a smooth, like, foot above where he could have caught yeah. it. And then, surprise, it gets picked off. And it's like, dude, that pass traveled like five yards. Like, how did you, how did you do that? And it's like, the question, like, I hate to be 
a hope merchant. And I know that college football is a lot of hope. And we've talked about that as far as what can we take out of this year for next year. The thing that I'm going to always be wondering about this A&M season is, like, what if they had Hayden's King? Um, you could just say straight up, you know, that Calzada game against Alabama was, like, an all-time, like, it's hard for me to imagine Hayden's King playing better than that against Alabama, to be honest. Agreed. But would you rather, if you're an A&M fan, take a loss to Alabama and a win against, you know, Mississippi State and Ole Miss? Not that those are guaranteed. I'm just saying, I'm, I, if we flip in Haynes King, I'm not going to say they're undefeated. That's all I'm saying. I think that, that that Bama game was like Calzada's moment. He was destined for it, whatever. But it's like, it's so hard to look at this A&M team as they're constructed now. It's like, you aren't wrong about their defense. Their defense is good. Uh, there's just no, they, you know, their offensive line is really coming together. Their run game, they have two really talented running backs. Weidermeyer's nasty. Like, you see up and down the roster, the, you, you were starting to see this team that we talked about in the preseason. That's a really deep team that plays well together. But they just have one giant hole. And it just makes you wonder as an A&M fan. It's like, well, <clears throat> it almost feels like a missed opportunity. Beating Alabama, and you have these two other games that it's like, yep. You're right there, man. It, I don't want to blame Jimbo for recruiting. I don't want to blame any of this stuff because they obviously had a dude who just was at quarterback forever um, and Kellen Mond, and you start to just worry about other things, obviously, if you have the most important position covered. But this is a weird year for A&M because at, right now, if you're sitting here as an A&M fan, like, how do you feel about this season? Well, so that's that's an interesting point, too. Where would A&M be if, if, if Kellen Mond had taken advantage of that extra year of eligibility? Oh, and if he's back, dude, they're... I hate to be a hope merchant, man. That's the one that they might be undefeated. I don't necessarily think that they beat Bama, but are they sitting there with one or two losses instead of three? Maybe. We'll we'll never know. But you can see the strengths and weaknesses of A&M pretty much on a weekly basis. And their offensive line has improved. And I'll... I'll kind of take back what I said earlier in the year where I kind of mocked Jimbo for saying that this offensive line had more potential than last year's. And I'm not saying that it's as good. And maybe if it had had a bit more continuity, it would be better. Because I think Jameer Johnson has had some really, really rough moments this year. And it just seems like whenever something bad happens on the offensive line, it's like, oh, yeah, it's number 58, the the Tennessee transfer. And (laughs) And not to rip on the kid. Not to rip on the kid, but I feel like there have been... Whenever it's like, a, oh, it's a pre-snap infraction or it's like it's a bad holding penalty and it takes off this 30-yard pass or something. It's like, oh, it's number 58. But anyways, I do kind of wonder about what it would have looked like had they had just a steadier presence at quarterback. Just yeah. a guy who who felt comfortable and who made these better decisions and we'll never know. We never will. And I'm still a good football team. Ole Miss, a little bit better. And Ole Miss... Wins a game that it would not have last year. They could not have won ugly like this. And that shows yep. you that a program is growing and that it's not all of a sudden just up to corral anymore. And it's not just, oh, how many yards is he going to throw for? How many how many yards Jerry Neely, Snoop Connor going to break off? Connor had that really nice run, too, to kind of finally end the red zone issues uh, for Ole Miss in this game. But... Ole Miss is becoming a more complete team. The path to a New Year's Six Bowl is very, very much there with AM. Oh, they might still get the benefit of the doubt in the selection from the selection committee because they have the Alabama win. You can be nine and three and get to a New Year's Six Bowl, but the problem is that Ole Miss is going to continue to block them moving forward, having won that game by double digits. All I know is I can't wait for the Egg Bowl. It's going to be yep. awesome. Yep. It I was about to say this game right here sets up two hilarious Woo. games. The Egg Bowl and 
A&M LSU for LSU's bowl eligibility <laughs> because yeah. that game is going to be a rock fight. If it's going to be Max Johnson versus Zach Calzada, and this Egg Bowl is going to be like these two coaches have really started to settle in, and like I can't wait for this Egg Bowl. Let's talk about just that Mississippi State. Wow, they reminded us that twenty-eight three. It is the most dangerous lead in college football or in football <laughs> in general. Yeah. Um, so we can we can make jokes about Atlanta now because Braves Braves won a World Series, so it's all in the past. No. And the no dogs rules. are going all the way, man. Come on. Yeah. So we can make our twenty-eight to three jokes. Will Rogers had himself a day. Holy cow! Biggest comeback in school history. Most points Mississippi State has ever scored against Auburn. Most touchdown passes in a game by a Mississippi State quarterback. Dude was phenomenal in every way that you would want an air raid quarterback in Mike Leach's offense to operate, mm -hmm. he did that. That was as close to a perfect game as I've seen probably from an SEC quarterback in in quite some time, at least maybe in a, in a road atmosphere like that. I mean, just total control, everything so on target. It wasn't like these are all just dump offs and his guys are making plays and, and Auburn is missing tackles. Every, every time that he would try and fit the ball through a tight window, it was on the money. It was there. His receivers are making play. Makai Polk is making plays. Jaden Wally is making plays. They just looked like an offense that was in rhythm. Basically from the moment that they fell behind 28-3. to And Leach said, and I can't remember who it was who picked this up, uh, the sideline reporter for this game. Leach said, look, you guys are dominating. Just keep running your offense and you're going to be fine. And I sort of was like... Uh, dominating? Uh, I, don't, I don't know about that, but he was right. Auburn could not stop them. And we were texting Will when it was, I think, 20 to 10. And we both agreed. We're like, we really like the way that Will Rogers is playing right now because Auburn's not getting any pressure. And I, but I still, at the same time, it's 20 to 10. This is probably going to be like last week. That is, Will Rogers plays well enough to win a football game and doesn't in right. part because of the start and the defense. He didn't just win, he poured it on. 40 consecutive Mississippi State points on the road. Jesus, bro. Against an Auburn Wait, defense, I think it's good. Can we just read Will Rogers' stat line right now? This man, 44 of 55, six tutties. I'm telling you, <laughs> National Player of the Week, that award belongs to him, in my opinion. And I know, you know, people. Some people might say, "Oh, you know, Bryce Young had a really good day. Emory Jones had a really good day as well." Against that defense, with guys that we we legit respect and say, "Hey, mm -hmm. these are all SEC caliber players." Roger McCurry, Smoke Monday. I think they're on that track right now, and he picked them apart. There was there was so much command that he had of this offense. There was one instance where it was Jameer Calvin was lined up a certain way at the line of scrimmage. And Will Rogers audibles, and he basically tells him exactly where to go. And then sure enough, he does that six points, just like that. Mm -hmm. That wasn't fluky. And it wasn't like he just was lighting up a Bo Pelini defense. And that was KJ Costello, not Will Rogers. Come that was on, just in the totally wrong seat. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't wake up and choose violence. I didn't. That was mean. Derek Mason actually did too much drop eight coverage in this game. When you can actually protect a three-man pass rush and your quarterback and your receivers, they're very comfortable in this offense, it looks really, really good. 
And I thought Auburn really missed Owen Papo in this one. I know that they were going to be playing with some extra defensive backs on the field, and they said Jordan Rogers brought up the point on the broadcast about how, heck, you know, kind of if there was ever a game in which you could be without a linebacker, it's against the air raid offense. You're going to be playing with those extra DBs. But they needed their leader to stop the bleeding. I don't know if his presence makes the difference in that game. But we got to talk about the targeting on TD Moultrie. Man. Auburn got screwed. Yep. It was a football play. I get the intent of the rule. I get it. I thought that was a football play at a very key juncture of that game with Mississippi State up eight points because if Auburn gets a sack right there, it was right after Mason sent pressure the play before and they actually forced a fumble on Rodgers. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Mississippi State recovered, and then all of a sudden they had that play right after, and you're like, oh, man, this is finally Auburn has figured things out. And instead of it being, oh, you're going to probably have to settle for a field goal attempt, which Mississippi State. (laughs) Yeah, that's the dream. Yeah, That's that's essentially uh, just a turnover right there, and I doubt they probably make that. Walk-on tryouts from Mississippi State kickers next week, by the way. Leach has roughly 40 lads on campus, he said. He didn't say lads. I said lads. <laughs> but his kicker did make one. So the over on that at least hit. Anyways, brutal call for Auburn. Definitely impacted that game. Doesn't guarantee that Auburn wins that football game. But once it happened, the wheels just fell off. And it was yep. very, very obvious. I don't think a healthy Bonix wins this game. But like with Corral... When Bonix got his ankle rolled up on, he did not have his full arsenal. And you need the full arsenal against a coordinator who will send pressure like Zach Garnett does. And it just wasn't there for Bonix. No answers for the Auburn offense in this game. It's just a very up and down unit. That's, that's kind of the story of what it's been. I know we always say never doubt Auburn, but when they're I mean, limited... To me, it's like, this is Derek Mason, bro. I mean, Bo Nix had almost 400 passing yards. Like, this had to be a career high for him. Like, the, I, I understand that, like, quarterbacking is a lot of situational stuff, and, like, I get that. But at the end of the day, it's like, this isn't one of those Bo Nix games where he's out there completing 50% of his passes, like, making bad reads. and doing all True. Stuff. It's like, no, no, they gave up 40 straight points. Like, that, like, that's the story of the game. Like, he played well enough to get them comfortably in the lead to where they should have just been able to bleed the clock out. And Derek Mason just decided, like, all right, Get in the chili dog. See you guys on the back end of this one. Done doing my job for the day. <laughs> it was a rough day for the Derek Mason to Arizona State take that we had a couple weeks ago. Might not be the game that he puts at the top of his resume. The adjustments just weren't there. And my guy Brian Stoltz was tweeting about this. Auburn needed to send pressure. And it was almost it was it was almost like it was too married to the pregame script, right? We talked about that with with Heupel, about how he should be more married to the pregame script. And instead, Auburn was in a spot where it just did not have the answers with the coverage that it was playing. And it was a little, it was definitely an indictment on the Auburn defense. An Auburn defense that did not allow an offensive touchdown in that game against A&M. And that was a major, major setback. This this was a, a roller coaster for... The season has been a roller coaster for both teams, and this game was kind of a microcosm of that, right? Like, oh yeah, Mississippi State is still the weirdest team in the country. 
Oh, this is, I'm looking at this right now. This might be the weirdest team I've ever seen in my life. First off, Mississippi State, if you're a football fan, like, I just want this staff to stay together forever because we've talked about the air raid plus the 335 is just like, I mean, if you're a film head, it's your dream because you watch a Will Rogers game like this and it's, it's hitting these windows. It's the, the pace and the rhythm is just bop, 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 bop. And it's, it's so beautiful to watch that offense work with a quarterback who knows exactly how to run it. But if you look through, I hate to do just great radio segment of like read Mississippi State schedule, but it's like, should have lost Louisiana Tech. Beat an NC State team that that win looks phenomenal at this point in time. That team almost is like was in the conversation to win the ACC. And they just yeah, lost if they had the beat Wake, Wake last they would have absolutely, yeah. That yeah, would have really like been a really good would have yeah. been the, There were three points away from the driver's seat of a Power 5 conference last night. And then they lost to Memphis because they got screwed. They lost to this horrible LSU team. Then they beat a and I'm just like, okay, and then you go, boom, they beat Kentucky, who at that point we were talking about, this might be Leach's best Kentucky team, and just rolled Stoops best Kentucky. Kentucky team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stoops' best Kentucky team. Rolled them, turned around, lost to Arkansas, who was unranked at the time, and then beat Auburn. Like, every week is a just roll of the dice for this team, and I love it so much. This is my favorite team in the SEC. I throw in a Mississippi State game every week at some point, and I just go, what is this? <laughs> Quarter to quarter, game to game. Good luck figuring it out. But what I what I did take away from this game, and what I think has been the only constant in really the last month, ever since Will Rogers recovered from that injury where Leach had him throwing sixty times against Alabama, even though he's like he's like, dude, my shoulder is barely attached to my body right now. <laughs> ever since then, he's been awesome. And he is turning into a legit star. Like if we're deciding today, and I know we're big hen dogs. But if we're deciding today who those all-SEC quarterbacks are, you have to put Will Rogers on that list. And now with Brendan Armstrong potentially out for Virginia, Grayson McCall. Well, no, Grayson McCall is leading quarterback ratings. That's a different stat, actually. But there's a a very good chance that Will Rogers is going to lead all of college football in passing. And he's having that year. He's having that year that you could have... That, that you could have said if you're a Mississippi State fan, like, what is, what is the best case scenario for this offense? It's Will Rogers looking like he's looking right now. And that's mm-hmm. dangerous. And they're going to be a fun team to watch because that's what we, that's what we talked about with Leach when he, when he got this job, is can they catch those good teams? Those good teams who aren't necessarily prepared to play a 60-minute football game in the unique style that they play, and they've got road wins against A&M? And now against Auburn. And in the fashion that they were able to do it against Auburn with a 28-3 comeback. Credit Mike Leach. Credit his post-game dance moves. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that hoodie's so sick. I'm sorry. <laughs> that takes me about that. It's like that like blocked state. I, I love him, dude. This, this egg ball's going to be so electric. <laughs> oh, it's going to be great. I cannot wait for it. I'm going to have consumed probably at least 20 Hawaiian rolls by the time that game is over. <laughs> You're going to be looking like White Goodman at the end of dodgeball. Just yes. bloated on the Hawaiian rolls like Mike Leach. Let's go. Here for it. Don't care. It's going to be great. So, so excited for that. All right. Let's stay in the West here. Will, Arkansas hands LSU a loss. First time that Arkansas has beat LSU since 2015. Arkansas hands LSU a loss in which you said afterwards, why did I have to watch this entire game just to get that <laughs> ending? Oh, man. Brutal, brutal way for LSU to lose. Great way for Arkansas to win. How about those Hogs? Mm-hmm. Arkansas is on the right side of another last-second field goal. I, we can still yeah. say that, even though it was technically overtime. Whatever. That's last second in a way. And 
getting over the getting over the hump against LSU on a day in which Traylon Burks was totally contained. As we talked about in the pregame, Flot is back. Kendall Bryles tried to move him Flat around. Up. It still didn't really work. He's he's an awesome player. Flot is when he is out there, he is a he is a difference maker. And I know there were other guys matched up on Burks as well. They they had some Jay Ward on him at a few different points, but. Ground game didn't really do a whole lot either for Arkansas. Three and a half yards mm-hmm. per carry. If you had told an LSU fan, oh, um, uh, by the way, Traylon Burks, he's going to have like four catches for 16 yards. Uh, Arkansas's ground game, three and a half carries. LSU fan, you're like, sweet. How much do we win by? <laughs> Did not happen. Arkansas found a way. KJ Jefferson on Arkansas's lone TD of the day. Buddy. Mm-hmm. That was elite. Escaped two LSU pass rushers somehow, and it wasn't quite Bo Nix 2.0, and go figure that LSU in Death Valley, that's the common denominator in those two plays, but kept his eyes downfield, hit Dominique Johnson wide open for six, was one of those plays that you can only make if you have some special talent. KJ does, and he, that was not by any oh, yeah. stretch of the imagination like his best game, but that will, as a fan, when you see a quarterback make a play like that on your defense, What's more, what's more demoralizing in football? Like a 14-play drive that ends up with no points? Because I kind of think that that play is even worse. <laughs> I mean, well, it's having Bo Nix do it twice in the same game and then having KJ Jefferson doing it two months later fair, in the fair. same game is probably the worst part. Yep. I think that this game is just another feather in Sam Pittman's cap. Even though it's LSU with a lame duck head coach, think about this. What if you told an Arkansas fan coming into this year, you are going to beat Texas and you're going to do it before everyone, including Kansas, is doing it. So it's like kind of a cool thing to right. do. Right, yeah. That was a good win. Yeah, there's no, no taking away from that. You're going to beat Texas A&M, first time in a decade. And now you're going to beat LSU for the first time in six years. You're going to be seven and three. That is pretty good considering where this team was even just a short few weeks ago where it looked like SEC West play was kind of gobbling them up a little bit. And, you know, you question what it's looking like defensively with without Catalan. And Miles Slusher, by the way, that interception, that diving interception that he made on Garrett Nussmeyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not the best throw from Garrett Nussmeyer. Much better play by the defensive back in that spot. Seeing Arkansas find a way to win this game and, and, and not necessarily with by any stretch of the imagination, their best offensive day, that's that's where this team has really grown. They couldn't find ways to win close games last year, and that's why it always seemed like it always came down to a call in which they got screwed. And this yep. year, it's a little bit different. Different story, and Arkansas fans just have to be feeling really good about where they're at right now, considering they could have very easily been 5-5 five and five at this point in the season, trying to get to bowl eligibility, going into Alabama and Mizzou to end the season, and that's not the case. On the LSU side, I did not expect to see that much Garrett Nussmeyer, Will. Did you? <laughs> Buddy, listen, we got a whole heap in help like a Garrett Nussmeyer for you. Yeah, that was a lot. and Too much, some would argue. <laughs> I, I, I get it. You you want to play the young quarterback? We say, Ed Ogeron, you're, you're not trying to necessarily... Uh, you're not worried about burning bridges probably at this point. You can kind of do what you want and not have to deal with the, the, the politics associated with that. And there are a lot of politics associated with starting a quarterback and, and versus you know bringing someone in in the middle of the game. And th- that, that hook on Max Johnson was quick. 
I, yep. I, he was ineffective. I get it. And Odron said that he was only going to stay in this game if he got off to a blistering start, which is kind of a weird ultimatum to give a quarterback, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, hey, if you don't throw touchdown passes in your first two drives, you're going to get pulled, and then we're going to put in this guy for the rest of the game. That's not how this is supposed to work. But it Especially did. if your OC is Jake Peets. It's like, this guy's going to come out in the Emory and Henry formation with three tailbacks. And you're just going to have to figure it out, dude. Where do you think Jake Peets' game script started? With Garrett Nussmeyer uh, or with Max Johnson? On, Jake Peets' game script started on an Etch-A-Sketch. It was a napkin, a cocktail napkin is where his game script started. Weird nugget that we found out during the game on the broadcast from Tom Hart that Jake Peets apparently walked out of practice because he was so disappointed in quarterback play this week and just said, you guys figure it out. Given where LSU is at, I don't know, man. You're kind of coaching for your next job at this point. There are different ways you can try and motivate, but is that something that you're going to go into your job, your next job interview and talk about? Because yeah. that's kind of a sign to me that maybe you're, you're not getting through to your signal callers and Garrett Nussmeyer had a great moment in this game. And wow, that, that touchdown pass to Besh was <laughs> the throw and catch in that. One of the plays of the day in all of college football. Just everything you would want to see from a true freshman in that spot. The type of play that LSU fans are just going to be thinking about this entire offseason. No doubt about it. But the rest of the day was not great. And, you know, I kind of came away from that from the LSU side saying, we talk about how... Ed O'Dron, he's got nothing to lose, right? Like, roll, don't be afraid to roll the dice. He's, in my opinion, Max Johnson wins that football game. Oh yeah, second week in a row, I feel like he played the wrong quarterback. And and I mean, you come again, come out against Alabama and got all this fire, and you're doing all this stuff. And then in this game, it's just you're punting, you're doing cowardly stuff. I just, I don't get it, man. Like, I'll, I'll say this real quick. Like, this game, honestly, weirdly, was a game that you could kind of feel good about on both sides because, like we said. Jake Peets is just a dumpster fire, man. This guy's not going to be – he's going to be working at Denny's next year whatever. But if you're an LSU fan, you got a couple quarterbacks now that have a game script. You have a, a couple guys er, – er, game experience. You have a couple guys coming back on offense that weren't playing in this game. Dude, how about Durante Jones, man? Oh, my goodness. This defense is playing for him. There is no doubt about it, man. Like, as an LSU fan, probably frustrating to see both of these two defensive performances not result in a win. But they're they're playing hard. They're flying around the football. Those guys still legit care. I feel so bad for Damone Clark, who's just had a hell of a year. And Jay Ward, a guy that we criticize a lot, is playing really <laughs> well Ward, for this man. team, man. He's everywhere. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's the thing that you can take away is, like, Hopefully, it seems like LSU is going for some type of an offensive head coach. Hopefully, Dante Jones stays, man, because he has this locker room. And, like, you want to be upset about, like you said, these last two games were against Alabama. You know, you, you lose by less than a touchdown. You get so many chances. Arkansas, you throw that bad pick. You know, you, you, your quarterback is making all these mistakes. At the same time, it's like, I'm not even going to blame the quarterbacks. If you have those same quarterbacks with, I mean, an average OC, you probably win both of those games. As an LSU fan, it's like as strange as it is to say, you got to look at the silver lining and say, all right, you take Georgia out because they're obviously the best team in the country. It's like, who's playing better defense over the last two weeks? Because you have this Alabama team that has looked, I mean, incredible against other teams, and they just totally stifled them. And then you have KJ Jefferson, who we were talking about, could have been a third-team All-SEC guy. You know, um, Bryles is this great OC. And they just totally had them, uh, they've suffocated both of these run games. So it's like, as an Arkansas fan, you're absolutely right. You know, you, you're, 
shirt up a bowl game. You're looking good. You, you feel like the first part of the, you know, this is now the rewarding part of the schedule where you win two close games back to back and you look at the early part of the schedule that was amazing and then you kind of dipped off and now you're kind of leveling off and you're hopeful for next year. As LSU, it's like, all right, we can get a guy in here. We still got some young guys that are getting game reps. We got, you know, guys playing hard. We have this defensive coordinator who we think is great. And it's like, I feel like both teams can come out of this game and, and feel like they played better than they expected, as weird as that sounds. The over-under for that game against A&M, A&M LSU. Oh, rock fight. This is going to be a, a Big Ten type type of feel. The over-under <laughs> for that game, will it be in the 30s? Maybe Gotta that's be. too low. Maybe that's too Gotta low. Be. And of course, the way that college football works, like, like Cal's is just going to come out and be throwing darts next week. It's gonna, right. it's gonna, it looks like Will Rogers. What's going on? Yeah, LSU's got a couple weeks to prepare for that one. Uh, to, yeah. to, to end the season, they get Louisiana Monroe next week. But bowl chances, obviously, for LSU took a, a significant hit in this one. Yeah. But it's, it's it's interesting thinking about the quarterback situation, too, and how uh, I'm assuming Garrett Nussmeyer's getting the start against Louisiana Monroe, right? I mean, I don't know why they wouldn't just at this point split time down the middle because, like, you need something against A&M. You need something. Like, you're keeping your season alive. Like, I, again, it's Jake Pete's fault. It's not the quarterback. It's it's not Max Johnson. It's not Nussmeyer. I saw enough in these last two games to realize, like, you guys are making this. Like, and, and, and like, not to, like, dive too deep into it, but we were talking about this off air. It's like they had – their passing game was working for the only time in the game. They took the quarterback out, got TDP out there, who caught a bad snap and fumbled the ball. Like, 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 like they ran the wildcat when their passing game was actually working and they took that dimension out of the offense. And it's like, it just feels like Pete's is just in over his head. And it's like, I don't want to roast him necessarily. It's ultimately like everything falls on Coach O. You see Coach O make these bad hires and then suddenly he removes himself and lets these coordinators sink or swim. One of them is flying and like passing the test with flying colors. The other one's sticking to the bottom of the ocean. And it's like, okay, you see the problem. You see what works, you see what doesn't work. Let's head into this offseason with some plans. If Garrett Nussmeyer gets the start against Louisiana Monroe, or if he gets the start against AM, it will have been the fourth different starting quarterback for LSU in the last two years, post Joe Burrow. Yep. And I kind of want, and I don't necessarily even think that that they're they're particularly bad. We didn't go in depth about Miles Brennan entering the transfer portal. Um, yeah. That that news kind of came and went. We'll wait and see uh, where his destination ultimately is. Ole Miss is the one I'm keeping in the back of my mind. Ooh. I think. That that there there are certain things with LSU that we're just always going to want to subconsciously compare to 2019, and we always will. And Jake Peets is an example of that, and wanting to get back to the exact style of 2019 when not every quarterback is going to fit into that scheme, not every quarterback is going to have the presence to to be able to to tuck it and run like Joe Burrow did, or to have the toughness to take some of those hits to watch these routes develop, and he just did so many other things that I think we probably take for granted now, watching capable, talented quarterbacks mm-hmm. struggle to do. And that's the tough part with trying to re- trying to recreate that level of success. And I don't know that LSU is going to find it anytime soon, but yeah, looks like Garrett Nussmeyer is the direction that LSU will go. Probably, maybe. I don't know. It'll probably change next week. <laughs> All right. Mizzou, huge win for Bowler Noble. Mm-hmm. Big, big time win for America's favorite game. South Carolina not able to build off of the Florida momentum comes up short in this game. Shout out to all the year two coaches. All of them got a big time win on Saturday. Rough wow. wave. Think, yeah, think yeah. about that. Kiffin, Leach, Drinkwitz, 
Pittman. Yeah, all four of them, big time wins. Rough way for Mizzou to start the day. Our guy, Bear Felica, he threw this out there as the Aflac trivia question on game day. Mm-hmm. And it was it's a great question because of the key caveat here. It was, who's the only team with a worse record against Power 5 competition than Florida dating back to December 6, 2020? So the caveat was that you had to have a minimum of eight games against Power 5 competition. And teams like Vandy and Kansas, who were the obvious, hey, that's, that's where your head would go immediately. Arizona, another team that people brought up, they hadn't played the eight games against Power 5 competition. Yeah. Mizzou was the answer to that question because their lone win against Power 5 team this year was against Vandy, and they lost two games against Power 5 teams after that December 6th date last year. That says a lot, um, but in this game, Mizzou won with defense? Defense? I've heard, I've heard other p- programs have it. Did not realize Mizzou could have any sort of defense, but Steve Wilkes' group... Played maybe its best game of the year, considering the circumstances. South Carolina's backfield trio had just 104 rushing yards on 30 carries. And then add to that, that the sack yards for Jason Brown, he took like four sacks that lost him 54 yards or something like that. That's going to really help out our favorite stat every single week. Is Mizzou still in dead last in run defense in college football? (laughs) That's, that's going to skew things big time, so good for Mizzou yeah. on that. Um, Jason Brown had a bit of a comeback-to-earth game in this one. He had the, the one play where he wanted to roll out off of play action, and a Mizzou defender just met him. And it was a scoop and score to make it a 10-point game. He did have a really nice throw uh, to Josh Nanwerk. Not quite the level that we saw from K.J. Jefferson, but kind of a similar type of vibe to escape pressure, step up in the pocket, and make a throw on the move. But in the end, it's a brutal loss for South Carolina's bowl chances. This, this was the game where, oh, man, it's just sitting right there. That opportunity's there. Mizzou's turning the football over. Shane Beamer came out and said that he thought his team had too many guys patting themselves on the back after the Florida game. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to dig into detail and name names there. He said that does come back to him as head coach. But still, uh, we see some teams struggle to handle success South Carolina, in his mind, was one of those teams who who did not quite handle that as best as it could. On the Mizzou side, Tyler Beatty is a force, man. He yep. is so good. He has surpassed any sort of preseason expectation I had of him. We talked about him being like a scat back type of guy and how he wasn't going to be the the Larry Roundtree replacement. He wasn't going to be the workhorse. Man, if I'm a if I'm a running back transfer, and think of a guy like Kenneth Walker who went to Michigan State after transferring from Wake Forest, and now you can make a really good case that he should win the Heisman Trophy because it's kind of being it's turning out to be kind of a disappointing year for the Heisman, and he might be the, the best candidate at this point of the year to do it. But if I'm a transfer and I play the running back position, I would love to go sign up and play in Eli Drinkwitz's offense, man, because you go back to his NC State days, you can go back to Boise State with JHI, and the things that he has been able to do with running backs is special. Year after year, he doesn't have a prototype. He runs this pro tempo this pro tempo system, and his backs just feast. They do, year in, year out. Tyler Beatty now has four 200-yard games this year. Think about that. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. Like, he yeah. is so tough to stop. 
if there is a list of SEC's most valuable players, I'd put Tyler Beatty on there. I'd put like a Chance Campbell on there. I'd put Wondell Robinson on there. He is definitely way up in that conversation. Where would Mizzou be without him? Not five and five. <laughs> There's no way. Yeah, you gave me a look. You didn't even realize there were five and five, did you? No, no, no. I'm, I just pulled up the SEC rushing leaders, and he is in first place by 200 yards. Oh, yeah, by a long shot. And our guy, <laughs> C-Rod, C-Rod was up there for a bit. And that doesn't even take into account his passing game involvement, too. Yeah. The scrimmage 200 yards. attempts for the lad. Wow, that's also like 25 clear of the next guy. Yeah, this guy is a tank, dude. He is. And I did not think he'd be able to handle that. I did not think we'd be talking about him in this type of role in mid-November. And if we were, I thought it was going to be out of desperation. And maybe it kind of was. Like, Elijah Young didn't turn into the back that Mizzou fans kind of were hoping for early on in the year. And then Drinkwitz is like, look, Tyler Beatty is just kind of that dude. And he's so important and he's so fun to watch. I'll repeat this because I said it the other day, but just in case you didn't listen to this podcast or something like that, you just listened to the recap pods, whatever. I don't think Florida is going to want to tackle Tyler Beatty. I just don't. <laughs> I, I cannot see that defense signing up for 60 minutes with that guy. And I feel even better about saying that Mizzou is going to beat Florida watching the way that Tyler Beatty continues to run. He's awesome. He's a stud. Man, yeah, he is eighth in yards per rush. Uh, and he's the only other guy like him and C-Rod that actually have like a volume of carries. Most of the time it's guys like A-Chain or like Dark uh, Horse Hunter who have like a smaller volume because usually yeah. like a ch- chunk plays. He's like definitely in that like all SEC conversation because you look at what, like you said, obviously they're not like a great team, but what they've done has been like all of him. And to be on a team that like has struggled so much defensively and has remained committed to that run game, you pretty much know as a running back, like if you don't get yours, you're going to get off the field and like oh, you're yeah. going to be down seven more points. Like shout out him, man. He is having a disgusting year that's going like kind of underappreciated. Second in the second in the conference in rushing touchdowns to uh, – Brian Robinson at Alabama, which obviously Alabama is a little bit different. But, yeah, I mean, this is like statistically, he's kind of the best running back in the SEC right now. What are his rushing yards at right now, if you got that pulled uh, up? 1,200. 1,239. 1,239. And so he's not because he's going to get three games left. So he could get 2,000 scrimmage yards. That's still yeah. very much on the table for him because his pat- oh, yeah. his receive. Do you have his receiving his receiving numbers pulled up as well? Um, no, I can't sort my running backs in the SEC site. So. Oh, I got you, got you. Yeah. If he, this is very reminiscent of, of like the, um, what was it like, uh, the Travion Williams season a few, a few years ago for A&M. Yep. Oh, he was nasty too. He was underrated. Under, underappreciated. And yeah, it's, it's like you're five and five. And when they show the fan at the game holding up the Tyler Beatty for Heisman sign and he's just standing there by himself, that guy, that, that guy's like a walking meme of people on the internet, of Mizzou fans who really should appreciate this guy because he is, he is absolutely awesome. Um, but there you go. Sorry. 337 receiving yards. So he is like sitting at about 1,600 yards total right now. So theoretically, if he gets like a buck 50 from scrimmage averages that and Mizzou would have to make a bowl game for him to be able to get there. But 2000, 2000 scrimmage yards seems like it's very, very much on the table and I'll, I'll bang the drum. That guy deserves first team all SEC love. There's no doubt about it in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I would not have said that coming into the season. All right, yeah, let's end with Kentucky and Vandy before we get some playoff stuff. Uh, not a ton that I want to get to on this game. Um, Kentucky stops the losing streak at three 
clinches a winning record in SEC play for the second time since the Jimmy Carter administration. How about that? I love the presidential administration. I'm going to do that for everything now. I did it for <laughs> Woodrow Wilson. Florida had the worst defense last year since the Woodrow Wilson administration. A&M had its best defensive performance against the top 15 team since the Dwight D. Eisenhower administration. I'm just only going to do presidential administrations from now on with all my love stats. It. If it's historic, I'll have to, it's got to be at least 20th century, right? Like, oh, yeah. I, I can't do like, oh, it's been the best you know year since the Barack Obama administration. Like, like all right, cool. Like, that's not really telling us a whole lot. That's best in a decade, man. Like, awesome, great. Dude, there was Even a graphic the that. other day. It was like some some college football player. It's like has played a game in three different presidential administrations. <laughs> it's like, okay, man. Thanks for that. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I guess he's just medical red shirts and stuff. We're gonna get a lot more of that too. And I've kind of realized this. It. Nobody is out of eligibility. <laughs> Every yep. single time I, I look it, somebody dude. up, it's awesome. Every time mm-hmm. I look up somebody and I assume, oh yeah, this is like their six year. Grant Morgan is like the only guy who's basically out of eligibility. Uh, that's it. Like everybody else is, is still holding on for dear life and still might have another year left. And there's going to be a lot of those decisions where we're going to, and we, we, we dealt with this last year too, but we're going to, we're going to hear some of these guys who still have another year left. Like, Will Levis has, because he was a 2018 recruit, Will Levis has at least two years of eligibility left after this year. Like, Bo Nix, two years of eligibility left after this year. Matt Corral. Stay forever. Stay forever, dog. Matt Corral's going to the NFL, right? Like, we we assume that. But he technically has two years of eligibility left after this year. Jeez. Which is nuts. There's going to be so many of these guys where everybody's going to be looking up their bios and they're going to say, oh, there's no way that this guy can still be in college. There's just no way. And you're going to look up and you're going to be like, oh, yep, that's what happens when you have this new redshirt rule, right? Where mm-hmm. guys have the, the, the four games or fewer. So you have that and then you add to it 2020. I'm telling you, get ready for it. There's going to be some familiar names in college football over the next couple of years. Oh, dude, every every record book is getting rewritten, which you know could be good and bad. But yeah, we talked about, or I texted you that like Will Rogers is like 200 yards off of Dak Prescott's like record for Mississippi State. <laughs> Will Rogers, uh, look, three years of eligibility left after this year. Oh my God, three years of Will Rogers. He was a true freshman oh. last year. True freshman last year, so it didn't count. This is his first year of eligibility that he's using. This is what I'm saying. Oh, he's so it's nasty. Nuts. He's gonna like the college football career yardage record, which it might still be Case Keenum. He 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 is gonna have that, dude. If he because like he's good, but like everybody hates Leach's system. Like um, uh, mustache guy. I can't ever think of his name. Uh, Washington State Jaguars. Uh, oh, Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gardner Minshew. He he was like the guy that like made it at Leach's system and got somewhere. Hopefully, well, I just just stays forever because I he's made for this system, dog. He absolutely is, and we're, we're, he's going to get into that Colt Brennan territory as well, which I don't know if anybody, if anybody listened to this, read that story on Sports Illustrated about Colt Brennan, like the late days and, and the yeah. battle with addiction that he dealt with. It made me really, really sad because it was, it, was, it was a simpler time being able to just turn on a random Hawaii game, watching them play a Pac-12 team and watching Colt Brennan just shred defenses left and right. That's like one of my, yep. one of my memories of, of like, college football before I started doing this job that, that always just like kind of randomly comes up on a given day. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to see a lot of these guys. So I don't know what that had to do with, how do we get on the subject with Kentucky and Vandy? I don't remember. Good um, question, man. Guys coming no back. I don't know. No idea. But Kentucky um, 
actually almost made my prediction come exactly right. My predictions were bad this week as expected, but I had this game 35 to 17 and it was 34 to 17 Kentucky. Look at that. With a, with a Georgia, backdoor cover. Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, Vandy. We hit That's on the, the big ones, really. <laughs> That's it. Uh, yeah, the rest of my picks, not so good. Lock of the week, Oklahoma. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because like that's one you just came up with. Like no one was like Connor. We need to pick out of here. Your boys eating some crow after that one. I didn't have a ton of takeaways from this other than it was nice to see Wandell and C Rod both doing their thing in a winning effort for the first time since I was in Lexington against LSU, mm-hmm. which now feels like a really really long time ago. If Kentucky had lost this game to Vandy, I really would have felt like I put a curse on that team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, after the six and zero start, that would have been just really tough, tough for those fans to to stomach, especially as basketball season is now in full swing in the Bluegrass State. But seven and three, New Mexico State next week. um, New Mexico State, in case you didn't watch the Alabama game, um, Alabama was playing against Air this past weekend. So uh, Kentucky will be eight and three, and then at Louisville to end the season. So still a pretty nice nine win season, even a 10 win season is on the table for Kentucky could get their way back into the top 25, but given the way that the selection committee has treated the head to head for the most part, Mississippi state probably still going to maybe block them. So that's going to be tougher to get back into the top 25. We will see, but Kentucky gets a much needed comfortable win for the first time in over a month. Should we do some playoff rankings predicting? Let's let's yeah, man. Not, not that bold. It shouldn't be that bold. But I got one little thing in here. So Georgia's going to be number one. Bama's going to be two. Oregon going to be three. Um, Ohio State going to be four. Although, after the way that we saw Michigan and Michigan State, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting on the selection committee to tell us that Oregon Ohio State didn't matter and that Ohio State is playing better football and that it needs to be ranked ahead of Oregon. <laughs> Never rule that out. Cincinnati, now ninth after an OU loss. So here's the thing. I've got Michigan at five. This is predicting. This is not saying how I think they should go. Because we know the selection committee apparently loves Michigan, and it doesn't want to pay attention to the Michigan State game. And Michigan did get a nice win Or Michigan history under Harbaugh. Or Michigan history for the last 20 years. Let's just fall in love with the winged helmet. That's all that matters. I didn't necessarily buy. A lot of people were saying, oh, biggest win of the Harbaugh era. Like, all right. They beat a Penn State team that's got four losses now. That's not the big, like, we can't sit here and say that. You can go back to 2016 and find bigger wins, even though they ultimately did not get to the playoff because they lost to Iowa. And then, of course the game against Ohio State with the JT Barrett fourth down call. But I think Michigan comes in at five and slips ahead of Cincinnati. I think that's the thing that makes everybody irate. They got to do one thing every single week to make us mad as a collective college football landscape. And then Michigan State at seven, Notre Dame at eight, Oklahoma State at nine, and then Baylor. Man, shout out Dave Aranda. Shout out Dave Aranda. Year two beats the tar out of Oklahoma, gets Lincoln Riley all upset after that one as well for the field goal, that whole thing with the tiebreaker in the Big 12. I don't know, that's weird stuff, but Baylor gets a cool moment. Fans rush the field. That was not necessarily a given that he was going to walk into that situation and all of a sudden turn them into a legit Big 12 contender, but that is what they have become. I expect them to be in the top 10 after handing Oklahoma its first loss this season. Smell you later, Oklahoma, out of the playoff conversation. Spencer Radler back in as the starting quarterback. <laughs> Oklahoma fans are chanting for him. 
<laughs> oh man, what a weird real year quick, this real is. Real quick on Baylor. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, dude, the fact that, you know, Matt Rule was like the reclamation project, right? And that went better than expected. And then to be a defensive head coach, to come in during a COVID year, to take over from Matt Rule, where everybody thought was like this like golden boy who like basically yeah. did Baylor a favor by bringing him back. And then Aranda comes in, immediately flips that job over. I mean, they were good last year. People forget in a year that nobody was good on defense. And then this year, it's like, oh, no, we're this defensive. <laughs> Weirdly enough, Oklahoma State and Baylor, the two, like, defensive star stalwarts right? in the uh, Big 12. Things are changing, I guess, because you can't just win with offense. You get into these rock fights with these teams. And apparently, yeah, Baylor is just – I mean, who would have thought – not even me as an LSU fan who respected the heck out of Dave Aranda, who is, as we talked about, a Gary Patterson disciple, three-down lineman, three-three-five, shout-out. He is a guy that, like – I couldn't imagine. I mean, he's got to get coach of the year love at this point. Dave Aranda should absolutely be in that conversation. I I was kind of trying to think about who would be, who would be better for that. I still think Mel Tucker is going to be up there. That's going to depend yeah. on how they fare against Ohio State. That game being played next week, I think as crazy as it sounds, to stay within the Big Ten, like Jim Harbaugh is going to have a case. He absolutely no, will. He's going. If you don't absolutely have to hand it to Jim Harbaugh, that dude is getting paid look, like top five in college football. He they're needs not, to win more of these games. They're not going to beat Ohio State, but given the point <laughs> that you just brought up, because our expectations of Jim Harbaugh are so low in terms of the end of season stuff, and we just expect them to lose to these quality teams, yeah. if they beat Ohio State, he will be he will be very much considered national coach of the year type stuff. That narrative will get started again. I don't think Michigan beats Ohio State. I am not sitting there predicting that all of a sudden Charlie Brown is going to kick the football. All right, not going there. <laughs> yeah. But then, who who else would would be on that list? Because you have to put Kirby Smart on there. You absolutely yep. do. And people are going to say like, "Oh, anybody could win with all that five star talent." I don't necessarily think that's a fair thing to they say. They haven't since nineteen eighty. Like, not being mean, but it's like, wow, winning winning at this level at Georgia is so easy. Like, I see you that stat, dude. Like early season that Georgia was like. Second to last in the SEC over the last, like, 20 years in time spent ranked number one. Because, yeah. like, everybody had had, like, some stretch of time where they were ranked number one. And Georgia was always, like, two, three, four. Like, they were always right there, but they were never number one. Georgia's played with a target on their back, on their back since the um, Clemson game, and they have just been playing better every week. If Cincinnati wins out and makes the college football playoff, because of award season, the way that it lines up, it's bef- all these National Coach of the Year awards come out before bowl games are played, which is probably how it should be i think yeah. at least i can kind of go both ways on that but luke fickle would be national coach of the year if he gets insanity to the playoff that's kind of going to be the, yeah. the the narrative that'll, that'll be out there and i don't necessarily hate that either but dave aranda lsu missing him ah, you know what actually th- th- that's a that's a little bit of a dig at Durante jones of what i didn't mean it to be lsu probably would love to have someone like dave aranda leading their program at this point it was Probably I was our head coach, and Dante Jones was the defensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, maybe I maybe I am overlooking Dave Aranda. We're we're just not hearing that his name floated around at all when it comes to the LSU vacancy. But will if you found out like if if we got off this call and all of a sudden you see a Bruce Feldman tweet saying Dave Aranda is the new top target for LSU, and Scott Woodward is making him an eight million dollar year offer, what would your reaction be? I'd love it because, I mean, now, number one, he's a West Coast guy, so I think that he would probably get a lot more love from the, U- uh, the USC job, and I think that would be a great fit for him. Um, but, yeah, I, I think he's a great recruiter. And, like, honestly, man, watching this game and the Alabama game, I forgot how much I love defensive football games. We literally haven't seen one of those LSU yeah. since, like, 
Auburn in 2019, <laughs> honestly. And, like, I was watching that. I was like, this is, like, a throwback, like, 2015 game. And it's like, that's – honestly, I missed that. And Dave Aranda was such a – I mean, he's got to be – again, giving all the respect to Georgia and Lanning and all that stuff, he's got to be right behind them as, like, the defensive line in the country. Certainly improving a program that has had some very low lows in the 21st century. And Baylor is now all of a sudden, yeah, back end of the top 10 would be my guess. But that loss to Oklahoma State will probably keep him at that number 10 spot. Dave Aranda, somebody that SEC fans don't have to be told twice about how good he is at his job. All right, plan for the middle of the week is to have on an SEC quarterback. We'll mm -hmm. see. We'll see. Hopefully nothing changes with that. Um, I'll kind of explain what I mean by that later in the week. We're overdue to have a certain SEC running back on the pod as well. So we'll kind of just see what we got. There's also another interview that um, I'm in the works for to set up that I am so fired up about that I know everybody in this podcast who's been listening for a little bit now who listened um, when Marlo and I were recording together uh, who would really, really get a kick out of this interview. So hopefully that's able to come together in the very near future, near future as well. If you have not, leave us a five-star review, like, subscribe, go subscribe to our newsletter, go subscribe to College Football Uncensored, and Saturday Lives Forever wherever you get your podcast. Join the Facebook group, Hear Your Name Red on Air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.